Hello, I'm Michael Brodeur, and welcome to Leaders Alliance. We are a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who are passionate about helping you become the world-changing leader that God created you to be. Join the conversation. Well, welcome everybody again to another episode of Leaders Alliance podcast. Hello. We're so happy to have you join us, uh, Diane. What are yeah, your thoughts today? We're glad to have you here. You know, today we are going to be talking by two two heroes in the faith that were a part of the early Jesus movement. They played a huge role in uh, the revival that happened. They have incredible stories, signs and wonders, and just what God did during that period of history. And we're so happy to have them on. Yeah. So, but if you're joining us for the first time, let us just introduce Leaders Alliance. Leaders yeah, Alliance on. is a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who have come together to see God's kingdom come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> we want to see souls saved. We want to see partnerships develop between the local church and the marketplace to outreach ministries to we want to see the body of Christ come together in unity to bring a maximum impact a maximum influence of God's purposes in the world around us and so we're building this amazing a community where we're connecting church leaders, marketplace people, intercessors, prophetic people, <laughs> outreach people all together in a in a synergy of impact yes. that we believe is going to change the face of the body of Christ. So we're yeah. happy for you to join us and we're excited to now bring on our two uh, amazing guests, Richard Paradise, Francis Sanfuso. Why don't you guys come on board? Come on, you and, guys. And, uh, you know, Richard, we have a long relationship with. He actually spoke at our wedding. He was one of the pastors that married us 41 and a half years ago. So we... 1981. <laughs> so he was... He was our marriage counselor, our pre-marriage counselor. And so we're just happy to be still connected to you. And yes. Francis Anfuso has always been a legend to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I got to know his brother years ago and uh, and tracked with you. But we, we really only really connected relationally in the last year. But we're so happy to have you on board yes, as we well are. today. Right. And so, gosh. You yeah. Know. You know, I think it's so important for the next generation to hear the stories of the mothers and fathers in the faith. Because um, where God did miracles and signs and wonders, that testimony is an invitation that it can and should happen again. Amen. And that it's a guarantee that the Lord wants to do it again. And, and that's on our heart today as we talk about what God did through your lives and through our lives that the fruit that the generations will know that there's a prototype of what can happen again amen can you pray and let's just get rolling yeah come on father we just lean into the history the stream of history that has flowed down from the beginning lord the beginning of creation and that we're a part of that and we ask that our lives would be uh, meaningful and matter and that we would pay 
play our part in shaping history and time and the seasons and the ebbs and flows. And we just ask an anointing on what happens today in our conversation in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, as, as I introduce uh, this, I just want to say, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about the Jesus movement today, which really began officially, I believe, in 67. It continued through about 75 and began to then diminish after that time. That was the sort of official season. Estimates in terms of impact differ, but some people say at least several hundred thousand came to Christ, Millions. up to three million people by, by some people's estimation and research. And so we're talking about a massive harvest of souls that happened among the, the baby boom generation. But I remember as we did a summer of love celebration in uh, 2007, we had Arthur Blessed come. And he was one of the prime movers of the early G Jesus movement. He went to every single country carrying his cross. And uh, Arthur said, you know what? The Jesus movement began 2000 years ago yeah, <laughs> and it hasn't stopped since that time. And so, again, we're, we're, we're isolating a season of history, but we know that Jesus has been on the move for thousand for 2000 years. Yes. But anyway, why don't you guys uh, just begin by sharing a little bit of your story, maybe Francis first, and then we'll go to Richard. And why don't we why don't we just begin there? Okay. Well, it's great to be with you both. Thank you for inviting me. And again, Richard, we go way back. Richard played drums on a song uh, 45 years ago. That's how far back we go. But it's been an honor to really have served the Lord all these years. To be fully conscious and passionate at this moment, looking back, is really an honor and a privilege. And I'm trying to stay alive as long as I can because I want to see it again. Do it again, God, all that you did and more. My journey, my dad was a politician. Uh, that may sound like fun. It wasn't. Uh, I went away to boarding school at 11. I never lived at home again. And so really had a chip on my shoulder about my dad, wrote a book called Father Wounds, uh, went to a religious institution that really was a prison. They kind of closed it down the year I graduated from high school. I had spent six years there. So I wrote a book called Church Wounds as well. So became an atheist at 15, went for a walk with God and said, if you're in this, we have nothing in common. I'm gone and spent the next seven years or more, uh, all five years of university as an in-your-face atheist. If you were a little Jesus freak, had a little butt, remember a little dental hygienist, had a smile, God loves you, and I just would mock her. She was cute, but I still would mock her, and, and she was pleasant to me, was nice to me. Uh, and then got into a relationship, had a couple of abortions with two different women in college, very bad, very dumb. Uh, tragic decisions, lived with a girl for a year and a half, uh, and that broke the relationship down. Uh, uh -huh. And basically, uh, that was before Roe versus Wade. The last one was in September of 71, and uh, that destroyed the relationship. But we still went across the country in a hippie van in 1971. Uh, I was suicidal at that point, contemplating suicide. Tried to cut my wrists in a desert in Arizona. All my friends didn't know what to do with me, so my twin brother was there, best friend, girlfriend, others. They put me on a plane in Sacramento uh, by myself. The $100 I gave her to have the abortion, she gave back to me to get on that plane uh, two, three months later. Tragic scenarios, went to Hawaii, lonely, miserable, uh, on a beach uh, in a broken down parachute uh, with people on the beach that we never talked to. Then gradually began to consider more. I was already into Eastern religions, considering that consciousness. And so wound up um, uh, praying on a beach in Molokai, Jesus, Krishna, Buddha. I've studied your teachings. 
with it, with that best friend who came over. Uh, you're all not the same person. Reveal yourself. Uh, wound up coming back from the States, went to visit him. Uh, he had become a Jesus freak. Uh, he had gone into uh, the woods to chant to Krishna for a month, was losing his mind, went into a little Episcopal church of his childhood, knelt down, said, Jesus, tell me this story. Jesus, I don't know anything about you except for my childhood. At that point, uh, he said, reveal yourself to me. He was knocked backward. He's telling me this. He's a fully vetted person. And he said, all my questions and concerns were lifted. I'm listening. He's a credible person. That night I went up, got saved. I had necklaces on. I used to chant to Krishna. And I was traveling with a woman from the planet Venus at that time. That's really <laughs> absurd. But I know that's what was happening. But when I prayed to Jesus, my necklaces were choking me. So my hands were frozen. I prayed my first prayer. Jesus helped me. One of my hands was then released. I ripped the beads off. They went all over the ground, hundreds of beads. I thought I'd see that again. I've never really seen that uh, in the years since I've been saved. That was 51 years ago this May. I got saved wow. on Mother's Day. My mother's prayers, the mom that I would yes. laugh at her when she prayed over her food, my mother's prayers won. I knew it was her prayers. Wound up then being part of a Jesus community. In May when I got saved, there were 10 people. By September, there were 75. Wow. And I was in charge of the brother's dorm, a 1,400-square-foot house with 21 guys and one <laughs> tiny bathroom. So I spent nine years <laughs> living communally, was ordained an evangelist in the first um, six months. Um, I was an evangelist and uh, then began to take people out to share the gospel, uh, wound up then pastoring that community. As the Jesus movement kind of dried up in 77, I got saved in 72, as you said, drying up around 75. By the time I came back, things were really breaking down, still 75 people. I was the new sheriff in town, read the rules, guy in the back shaking his fist at me, you know, you weren't in Kansas anymore. And so I wound up being there for four and a half years till we closed wow. it down in 81. That was the official end. Traveled as an evangelist for about uh, 18 years. Pastored wow. then for 21 more years wow. and then retired. Crowd surfed out. I dove into the crowd four <laughs> years ago. Four years ago. I saw a film and, of that. Yes. And so, I, again, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere and I'm staying alive because I want to see it again with a new generation. So that's my overview. So good. And a lot of that is true. No, any kidding. <laughs> yeah. So Richard, go ahead. Well, I'll tell you, trying to finish this book, which I hope I can do. I've been working on it for five years. The book is, and it's a pretty heavy book. Uh, my pastoral ministry stopped 10 or 12 years ago as I retired, but I, my prophetic and evangelistic movies have come along. And uh, the book's called The Sequence of Judgment, Prophets, Priests, Princes, and People. And it deals with Ezekiel chapter 22, and it's been on my heart, and I've revealed it. The book's done, but I know it would be my only, so I started my autobiography, and that's been crazy. Wow. That has been so difficult, what Francis just shared it's like that it says how could you do all these things in this short amount of time are you crazy how many lives have you lived well i moved from rhode island a very conservative uh catholic uh two heavy schools uh some of the heaviest catholic denominations especially the the ones that whack you over the head when you do something wrong 
So I didn't have a lot to do with Jesus after I left the state of Rhode Island. We moved to California in 1955, 1956, mom and dad, and life began. And uh, uh, even then, you know, I had to finish one school, the end year of school. Remember Timmy, uh, the guy that was, uh, he was a rock star at the time, and he represented the families, what we would call the post uh, 50s family, uh, Ozzy and Harriet. Remember that at right, all? Yeah. And Ricky yeah. Nelson, he was in my graduating class. Ricky was, wow. I was taking art classes. I had already passed all my needed <laughs> links. So I just had the first year of having fun. I got married early, had three children. That was a, a, a catastrophe for me. Uh, I don't want to get into the details because uh, I just had some of my kids here for Thanksgiving. They were tore apart uh, what happened. Uh, I had a very immoral wife that took off. And one night I came home, I was working for the government. I'd been certified by the Atomic Energy Commission and uh, I had this phenomenal job. I love techie stuff. And we were building the, uh, the, the biggest missile ever made. 23 stories high. It was the one that took men to the moon. I worked on a non-destructive testing committee and I was on the lab heads. It was the greatest thing in my life, but it was dangerous. So one night we had an accident and some, uh, what they call cesium-133 fell on the ground inside this company that had, I think we had 18,000 employees, 24 hours a day, putting this missile together. And, uh, I had to go home. They, they shut the thing down because that's powder. If you get it on your feet, you can bring it to your home. So I got home and my wife was gone, but my children were all babies by themselves. And wow. I freaked out. I just freaked out. I, I didn't know what to do. I'd never been, I'd been a good person. I went to church, even though I wasn't a Catholic anymore. And that was the beginning of that relationship coming to an end. Well, she left with some rock star and uh, I stayed home and continued on with the government. And then one day I had a major radiation accident. Uh, in, in radiation, you can absorb so much in your body every year and you wear badges and dosimeters on you that tell you how much you get each day. Well, I got what's called 27 and a half Rentgens. That's a little over five years dose in three minutes. Wow. So my wow. body freaked. Uh, I should have died. Uh, I tell people this is really nice. The good thing about it is when I get up in the middle of the night, I just sort of glow in the dark and I can <laughs> check out where I'm going. But it, it was the end of my normal life. I was going to church. I had a great job. I love my job. And all of a sudden here I am and now in North Hollywood and uh, thrown out. What am I going to do for a living? I could no longer work for five years. I could not hold a badge using uh weapons and weapons grade material. So I ended up becoming a, a drummer, a mediocre drummer at the time, but we had a couple of great groups and we went around Hollywood and we played at the Whiskey Go-Go and we played at different concerts. And I met a man named Lenny Bruce and uh, he was wow. uh, dying at the time. And uh, I went to his eulogy and wow. he was a nasty musician and um, a comedian. And he's, he just used the vulgar language all the time. And I'll tell you a story someday about Lonnie Frisbee, him and I, that nobody knows. I was asked to be a part of writing that book on Lonnie, and I wouldn't do it because I knew too much. Lonnie and I had a lot of experiences together. But anyway, this guy uh, had a, a person named Phil Spector, 
And if you know anything about music in Hollywood, Phil was a kingmaker. And we were to meet with him, and uh, he was going to look at our group, and he was thinking of changing the name of our group, and we were going to be superstars. Phil actually brought the Rolling Stones to this country. And yeah. uh, everybody that was by him made it. So I thought, this is it. So we're at this big gathering, very exclusive home for this. He's doing the eulogy. And we walk out, and there's the FBI is walking around with cameras taking pictures of everyone's license plate. And that is the beginning of my life of like either always being at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people or vice versa in Christ, always being at the right time at the right place with the right people. So that that was a terrible era of my life. Uh, it was soon after that that I was involved in the Watts riots. I was in prison for 44 days with 3,624 black people. And they were chanting the mantra, whitey, whitey. I said, I'm going to die here, Lord. I am going to die here. I wasn't a Christian. I picked up that Gideon Bible they have in prisons. And uh, it's hard to find Jesus in numbers. I'll tell you that. Uh, starting from the beginning, it didn't, it, it didn't happen for me. Uh, I got involved with two very, very strong people from the mafia there who were just getting out of jail. And uh, one thing after another, when they let me out of jail... I was transferred to another jail in Orange County. I didn't even know why, but I was in jail with Timothy Leary for 12 days in Orange <laughs> County. And there, wrong person, wrong time, they convinced me to join a new religion called uh, the League of Spiritual Discovery, LSD. Not only did I join it, but I signed a commitment to go to the federal government with my name and address and everything else telling them we should make LSD a legitimate sacrament. And uh, so that was the second place I got a little record back in Washington. Uh, big mistake, but, you know, again, I, I just got out of that. And when I finally got out of that jail, after 12 days, they never brought me to court. They said I was here by accident. A charge had been against, against me, and uh, they brought me in. And after the, they looked at it all, the person who brought the charge has been gone for years, so... I went away free. I got in my car, went back to the little hippie type of commune I lived in and uh, right near the, actually right near the YWAM base. Now I minister down there in Los Angeles, but uh, I left to come back to Northern California. And uh, my brother was with Bobby Kennedy when he was assassinated. He was big time into politics and he came up to live with me on the Russian river. And together we started a place called Brothers. And that was the first organic restaurant in Sonoma County. And we had all the hippies you could imagine. Haight-Ashbury had been driven out because there was too many of them. And they all came to the first place they could live, which was the Redwoods Empire, where you could rent a cabin for $50 a month. So we had a complete community of redneck, lumberjacks, people, and hippies. I have wow. full-page pictures of that statement. I'm, I'm, I'm an op I just, I'm too much involved in collecting stuff. So I have all of, I have about 50 magazines of every Jesus movement on the West Coast. I wow. have them all today. The Oracle, Gospel Outreach, uh, the ones down in Los Angeles, Hollywood Boulevard, that, uh, oh, what's her name? She's got a, a ranch down there or a, a coffee house. It was just one of those experiences that when I came wow. to Christ, both my bouncer and my cook 
at our place had come to Christ. We all had gurus. Mine was Paramahansa Yogananda, and one of them was Yogi Bhajan. The other one was, uh, Ron's was, I think, Maharishi Yogi. And one night they came in and said, we just found Jesus. I said, oh, God. Wow. And uh, we need to get baptized. Well, Jonathan Gainsborough, a friend of mine, and he was a teacher. He'd teach at one of the Bible colleges for AG. Uh, his wife, I, I hired them without auditioning them. And I never did that ever, ever, ever. But I hired them and they came in on a Friday night with all my hippie people in there. You could fr frangy pangy and, you know, would smell for weeks. Every, every Wednesday night was yogi night. And they started playing Christian music. I said, oh, no. My, everybody locked themselves in the kitchen. We're looking out through these little portholes. They wouldn't even come out. Uh, my brother gets saved. He can't handle being around all the heathen. He goes to Cape Array in Europe and gets involved in a mission there. I'm stuck with this place. And uh, it was just one of those items. You know, we had hired, and I can go on forever. I won't brag on them. Every 60s rock group out of San Francisco, we had play there. The place was hot. It was going finally. Two years of struggling, and finally we were going like crazy. And then comes my friends, and they get baptized. Well, I had had a guy that was a group called the Sons of Chaplin. They were big time in San Francisco at the uh, Fillmore. And yeah. Bill came out with his group one night, and he said, uh, Rich, I got something to give to you during the intermission. And I had gone up to that mountain to laugh at my friends. This is the 30th of November, 1972. So I get baptized. But in one way, I, I tell people, I sort of went in the water as a wet sinner and came out as a dry sinner. I did all the right things. I said all the right things. But there wasn't really a change until this night. This group's playing at my place, and this guy gives me a gift. And he says, this is thousand leaf lotus blossom and it was a joint a, a cigarette with pot in it only it was like a real cigarette not like rolled up and it had gold writing on the paper and this was supposed to be the most exclusive stuff available and i went out behind the nightclub we had a stream that ran under a bridge and i i gave in and i took a hit off this thing and when i did it's like my lungs collapsed i just felt life wow. and wind leaving me down to the creek below one hit and that I was scared I was going to die and I just flipped it out into the air and as soon as it left my finger shoo, breath came back in and I went this Christian stuff's real this is wow. the real deal there's wow. there's really a God and he's not wow. necessarily a Catholic or a Protestant or whatever and it was the beginning of our ministry and from there uh Crazy things. It's just, I took off Jonathan. I bought the Fillmore Auditorium sound system when they shut the old Fillmore down. We went to a, a ranch up in Sonoma Mountain and we practiced a rock opera called Jesus Christ, Our Lord and Savior, a miracle play. It was an answer to God's spell and Jesus Christ Superstar that were both erroneous doctrinally. And we hit the road after six months of practice. We went to prisons all over Northern California, universities. We played at Poly Ballroom, and, 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 of all places, where I ended up ministering at, at the UC Davis, UC uh, Cal, Berkeley. So, yeah, the first year was just music, wonderful time, watch people get saved, giving out testimonies, and then it was over. The, the, that anointing was gone, and back to the Russian River, and that's when my ministry, in a real sense, began. 
Uh, I started the Hallelujah House. It was our first little church. Uh, someone gave us a building per year for free. Then we had sisters that got saved. We had uh, daughters of Zion. Then brothers that got saved. They had Psalm 133. And then we took over a resort, uh, 16 units. There were so many people getting saved. It was called New Jerusalem. And I know now why I named all those things since I'm French and from Rhode Island. I have nothing to do with Jews. For the last eight or nine years, I've been working with people from Israel, with the Knesset. I've got all kinds of things around my house from the Knesset, from a lot of my friends are in Israel, a lot of ministries we support are in Israel. That's now. But the stepping from that place of uh, the Russian River Christian Center, I actually started uh, because of the gay movement came into the Greenville area. I had to go get examined in Texas with a bunch of Baptists to start a K through 12th grade Christian Academy, which I was able to do. And then Dennis Peacock and I plugged in and we were all reading Watchman Nee's book, The Normal Christian Church Life. And we believed we were not pastors, but we were apostles and prophets. And wow. Dennis and I went and we started five churches, two, five, five, one in Napa, four in Sonoma County. And then that happened. That whole apostolic movement took place. And you know, some of the people we work with, they, they were friends of yours. Erskine Holt actually yes. was one of the few men that started the revival up in Canada with Reg Lazelle and a few other people. And uh, it was just a time of God moving. Wherever we went, we planted churches. And uh, wow. that was the best time in my life. And I came to realize oh, yeah. that I was more anointed outside of the church building than I was in. And so I <laughs> would take churches, I'd get bored with them, and in two years I'd give them to someone else. And uh, yes. we have friends now that uh, pastors of other churches that I gave to and worship leaders. I, for some reason, have a problem with the box. And I've been in oh, the box for many years. But my first sermons was some Christians are born in the box, raised in the box, and carried out of the box on the box. And uh, <laughs> so I wanted to be, I actually will say this, I enjoy taking my time, energy, and money and spending it on unbelievers rather than investing in a lot of Christians that are already in churches in such and such nature, other than maybe to take teams out and do men's ministries and encourage men to be men. So God's been so good. God's yeah, been great. Yeah. Uh, we, we've well, done so many. I want, I want to talk with you more about kind of where it's gone from there, but let's shift a little bit right now and let's go back to the beginning. Okay to what you guys know and your connection to, to the early days of the outpouring. Obviously, you know, uh, we're going to be seeing a movie in about two months called The Jesus Revolution that documents that. And apparently it's getting great reviews from a, from a bunch of different people. I mean, even, even from a Hollywood standpoint, um, actually some of the footage in there of being baptized on, on Corona Del Mar, Diane was baptized there. So why don't you share your story quickly? Just not the whole story, but of just, course. just ab about Calvary Chapel at that early stage. Yes. And then we'll go into talking about some of the Jesus movement dynamics that happened between 67 and let's say 74. Okay. Yeah. For those of you that are listening, the spirit of the age was ripe for revival. People were desperate and hungry to know that God was alive and wanted to interact with them. I was, uh, I came out of a 
a, basically a heathen household. My dad wanted to save me from the crutch that was Christianity that he had. So I, I was, uh, I spent my summer as a 14 year old on the island of Kauai with my 21 year old girlfriend backpacking. But before that, I had come to Jesus at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa. My, my friend and I would go around drinking beer in the car, uh, smoking pot, and um, we went to see the exorcist. And there was a guy out there saying, come to this church, God's real and the devil's real, which I had no knowledge of. Well, we literally got the hell scared out of us and went to that church. And I met Jesus and I showed up there barefoot, brawless, with a ton of other beach people, hippie people. I was a countercultural girl already. And um, I fell in love with the Bible. Like the, the air was ripe. We, thousands of people in that area were coming to Jesus. I got baptized on um, the shores of Corona del Mar in my puka shell bikini. Again, it was a beach culture, but it was hippie beach culture. And um, there were hundreds of people lining the cliffs and there would be like seven pastors out in the water and you would just go out and get baptized. I didn't get discipled though. I so I didn't really know how to walk with Jesus yet, but I loved him. I started going to church. I I loved holding my Bible and I knew it was a holy book. And um what I thought is I want to tell I want to travel the world in a bus, a hippie bus and talk to people about Jesus and I want to have a baby. I literally had those thoughts all in the same I didn't know that God had a, a had an idea to give give me a family and to a destiny to be a mother. So by the time I was 15, I was a Jesus follower. I was pregnant and, um, and my natural childbirth teacher prayed for me to receive the baptism of the Holy spirit. The power of God came on me with signs and wonders. And I prophesied and she discipled me. She taught me how to be a modest girl, how, how Jesus wants to live with us and in us. And, um, from then on, you know, it's like I joined a hippie ministry called Dilaram ministry that was, uh, ministering to, world travelers from all over the world. And I got a vision for the nations ministering cross-culturally. You guys, the air was ripe for people's dreams to come true in God. And that's what we're believing for the future. Yeah, Like that God can invade a generation that have become so cynical that God's not real, that, that the government, um, I mean, there's just, we're, we're coming into one of the biggest antichrist um, generations, maybe even since the Roman empire, like Jesus invaded the Roman empire. He can invade this, this day and hour just like he did during the 70s, uh, 60s, 70s, and early 80s. So let's take that, what Diane just shared, and yeah. let's, you know, one of the things I want to explore is the setup. Yes. What was going on at that time, and how is it similar to now? Because there was a war in Vietnam at the time. 
there was a bunch of baby boomers who had grown up in a sort of a Pleasant Valley Sunday mentality, but then they realized that the emperor has no clothes on. There was the free speech movement on the campuses. There was the issue of abortion that was, you know, really necessary as the free love generation came into fullness. I mean, there was racial conflicts that were going on. Richard, you talked about the Watts riot. Very similar time to the one we're in right now. We have a war in Ukraine. We have a pandemic. They even had a pandemic back in those days called <laughs> Hong Kong flu. I don't know if you guys remember. So it, it was somewhat similar. And I know that the generation before was saying, how can God rescue us out of this time? So it's similar to now. Yeah. Talk about that. Let's go back in time to that season leading up to the Jesus movement and what precipitated God's outpouring on a generation. Okay, Francis, why don't you take it first, and then we'll kind of go back and forth with that. You know, the, the kingdom of God is really counterintuitive, meaning you're thinking I'm in the worst shape, but it's kind of like the bow being pulled back. You're going yeah. further from the target, but you're actually building thrust to eventually hit the mark, and that's, that's where it was. I mean, no parent in 1969 was going, isn't it awesome? There's a half a million kids at Woodstock naked and doing drugs. That's exactly. incredible. No one was thinking we're on the, the threshold of a move of God, and yet we were uh, at this point. So even as I look out at where things are, I just did a, a podcast for a couple hundred women a couple days ago, and my theme was, uh, you know, all in at low tide go all in wow. at low tide that means at the moment when you think man we're in trouble and yet in reality you're closer to god moving and so if we can train our soul to believe for that that's what was happening then so very few older people really were anything more than freaked out about the next generation so the yeah. church i got saved in there were six little old ladies that were praying for revival when revival <laughs> came in uh, the form of 18 barefoot hippies, of which my wife was one, four old ladies left the church. That was not what they were looking for. One of them was Susie's grandma, who wound up having a stroke and then going into a care home. Uh, but then one little lady, Mrs. Carney, stayed in Smartsville, and she would stand up once a month, I thank God for all you young people. But it was rare for an older person to stick with it. But when we came to the Lord, yeah. There was a radical transformation in our lives. I stayed up the first night I got saved till one in the morning until I exhausted people. And then I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, the first two weeks I was saved. I was devouring <laughs> the word of God. I was consumed in God. And it was a supernatural act. And at that point, we were baptizing 15 people every weekend in pickups down in, a, down the, in Timbuktu uh, on a river. And we thought that was not just normal, but common. And yet it was very uncommon. And it would ultimately subside. Revivals don't last in any region uh, for more maybe a year or two than they tend to wane. And so, again, being saved in that was extraordinary. But that gradually dried up until, as I said, by the time I began to pastor that community, uh, there were 14 heroin addicts. On the night I read the rules, uh, wow. you know, the peace, love, dove thing had transpired into people just becoming junkies. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when it fully dried up, the only people we were getting were from probation departments uh, oh, that were sending their people. People have been in prison 10, 20 years. And so it kind of became a maximum security thing. But we kept believing that somehow it might come around again. Uh, you could say that in one sense we were socialists in that whatever money we got, we put into a kitty. Yeah. 
and then it right. covered everyone else's expenses. And socialism lasts as long as you have money. At the point <laughs> the takers out outgave or outneeded the, the givers, then ultimately you had to close the community down because there weren't people willing just to give. And that's where socialism ultimately failed because there's more wow. takers than givers. Uh, but that's what was happening now in a very similar way. Guys, I, I know I'm up early in the morning, every morning, crying out to God candidly because it's very concerning. I was in a prayer meeting last night until about 10 o'clock. But I'm, I'm trying to surround myself with these next level young guns. These We watched the feed of a 22 and 23 year old couple last night, just loving on them, speaking into their lives. And uh, we're believing, I'm believing the next move of God because many of us are older. You know, in, in 1900, the average life expectancy was 47. So at 47, you're checking out. Well, now I'm 74 in a couple of months. Wow. I'm going to be around for what, 40 more years? I don't know. But for I'm going to be around for a while. <laughs> and we who have been saved in a move of God want to see it again desperately. And I believe the next move is going to join the generation, join the races. Oh, it's going to so be good. people who are willing to reach out to the younger generation and adopt them in their hearts. So I'll leave that for now, but that's, that's awesome. Thoughts. So good. And Richard, you're 83, is that correct? Um, 83 in June. Yes. 83 in June. I, you know, you seem so young and powerful and vibrant. You are. And so, but, but also like you go back now and, and talk about what precipitated that outpouring in the natural, what was the supernatural dynamics that happened that was sort of the, the sovereign God aspects and, and kind of how that culminated in, 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 in your experience? Well, the, the Jesus movement that I feel that I was a part of was very natural. Uh, people in Northern California were a little different than or Diane, uh, is Southern California. Remember the bumper stickers with Chuck Smith? Oh, yeah. All the surfers were being raptured. A bunch of surfboards going up into the river. And, and we would look at that and go, what's the matter with those people in Southern California? <laughs> we, were in, we were in Jesus houses. We were in coffee houses. And it was such a difference from that. So we almost, I guess, from about, I don't know, San Luis Obispo North were the real believers. And everything else was <laughs> to just surface that love Jesus. Okay, we, we give them that much. And, uh, and Lonnie was still with us. Lonnie was out of Santa Cruz. So he wasn't a part of that Calvary Chapel thing that we see him in initially. He was a Santa Cruz brother, him and his wife, and he was married at the time. But, you know, it was like it was such a natural thing. It just I, I can't. No one. There was no Billy Graham's. There was no great theologians we're hearing from. We weren't going to these big conferences to learn how to do things like share our faith. Uh, it was, you know, we were praying all the time. We had. I mean, doctrinally, it was a little crazy. I'll admit that. Some of the stuff, I remember teaching a brother's meeting saying, brothers, and they're all hippies, they're all saved. And I'm saying, brothers, now you have to remember what Paul said. You've got to be careful. There's a lot of new believers here. Don't come up on a brother and grab him quickly because Paul says, beware not to take a brother and <laughs> grab him quickly. You know, And he's talking about anointing him, but I'm talking... Uh, theologically so wrong, he's going to turn around and smack you in the face. So Paul's exhorting us how to live as Christians. And some of the doctrines we had were so off the charts. And I end up with, in my life, all these theologians. I mean, that all of a sudden it's changed. But the bottom line is, at the time, 
there was so much grace. There was so much grace. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, in deliverance, I remember uh, Anton LaVey, and he was a, a person who had written a book, the Satanic Bible, and his son was sent to us by the AG to de deliver him. And me and Steve Johnson spent two days in a hotel with this young man who was the son of the man who was the, the heavy doc. He had a, 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 a mansion in San Francisco, and it was a big three-story Victorian. He painted the entire thing black, including all the windows. And it has wow. seance every Friday. And here we are trying to remove the devil from this kid. And it was like, we didn't know what we were doing. Come out of him. Come out of him. Do this. Do that. And I'll be darned if he didn't come out of him. You know, I've letters from this young man. So yeah. we didn't know what we were doing, but God knew what we were doing. I had a, yeah. a hippie van, a Volkswagen van, and we drove from the Russian River into town. Uh, there was a place that we hung out with people from Agape Force. And we would just pick up people like a vacuum, just hitchhiking. Mm -hmm. Everyone was hitchhiking. It was so natural. Uh, the Lighthouse Ranch. Over a thousand people came to Christ there. We sent out 63 churches around the world. Uh, wow. The whole Lord's Land thing, uh, the early things, it was like unbelievable. You've seen the pictures of all the nudists running around and all the hippies with no clothes on running around the Lord's Land. And uh, we just recently had to show some of them at the 50th anniversary. Uh, <laughs> and yet all those people became radical to the, to the sense of the gospel. And... Uh, I don't know. Everywhere we went, we touched people's lives. Wow. And uh, you could not shut up. We used to take our Bibles that were black, big black, and we would literally paint them white with paint and then paint a red cross on the top of the white and said, this is God's emergency kit. And, and, and wow. we would do that. We would never, ever, ever go to church without a Bible, ever. I mean, you go to church now, you don't bring your Bibles. They just don't. It's all electronic and all the scriptures are up on. But we lived with the word of God. We meditated and memorized it. We, we had a, a group that we did a thing called uh, Meditate, Memorize. And about 25 of us memorized the Beatitudes, right? Five, six, and seven. We memorized those verses. We were just involved in the word of God. And I think those early Christians didn't know what else to do. They came out right. of a world that was broken. They did. They were anti-establishment. The war was happening. Their parents were part of the Ozzie and Harriet generation, little white right. house with the white fence and two kids. And they wanted none of that. And God brought us into this place of him and him alone. And uh, even to this day, I tell my teams when we go out, don't use the word church, don't use the word evangelism, don't use the word mission. Kingdom of God, yes, uh, we're out there sharing the person of Jesus Christ. And to me, that was the, pr the prime thing. We were Jesus freaks and loved yeah. us. We were Jesus freaks. I remember the movie that all these heathens came to on the Russian River, Brother, Son, Sister, Moon. Uh, oh, yeah. That was a classic. I, I own it. We I own it. it. Yeah. Yeah, so do I. And yeah. we all sat there going, you know what? When we got saved, we all all our brothers, we all cut our heads like monks. We cut our long hair and we had these bangs like all the monks. I mean, we were oh so influenced God. by anything that looked like Christ. We would do it no matter how foolish it seemed. So I, I think there was an abandonment, uh, a, a free will to just be radical. And, and being radical was poor. I think of that scripture. There are those who have uh, 
made themselves addicted to the gospel. And, right. and like Francis was saying, we didn't meet on Sundays. We met every day of the week. Right. Every other night was a prayer meeting. I mean, that has to be born again in the church. Oh, a yeah. desire to be together, a desire to encourage one another, pray for one what? another. Uh, and, and again, and the miracles, uh, you, yeah. you know, the man, he, he was part of your life. Uh, again, Erskine Holt, he was over about five of the biggest uh, academies of universities back in New England, Ivy League. And yet he had a mission in Bogota. And I went under him for a year to teach the baptism of love. And whenever I would go to the gospel outreach churches as their ordained prophet teaching, I would always teach the baptism of love and people would get saved. Lives would get healed. Wow. A word of God would come to you okay. that was accurate. And that is going to happen again. It's going to be so I... natural to be supernatural. That's so well, good. One of the things that I see is that um, during that period of time, like you said, things were natural and I had a completely non-biblical worldview, but I literally believed when they said, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Faith was ignited in my heart. I believed that the Bible was the word of God. There wasn't, um, I wasn't being dummied down and they weren't trying to be culturally relevant in trying to um, explain the gospel to me. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's where revival was falling on a bed of fruitfulness. That's so and um, and I, I feel like there's something in the spirit realm that needs to open up about that. Yes. Because we can't try to convince people that Jesus is real. Yeah. You know, we, we can preach the gospel and the gospel has power, yes. but, but the, there's something in the world today that, that again, that anointed indwelling of God coming in power to convert people. That's what I'm crying out for. That's yes. the easy, that's the easiness of it. Yeah. And, and Richard, you know, my story that, you know, I was hitchhiking. My parents were hippies in San Francisco. I was hitchhiking up to Mendocino and, and got six rides in a row with believers. And then the seventh ride was with Sabina Ball when she was coming back from Brooklyn. And, uh, and she witnessed to me for 25 miles. And then uh, she said, well, do you want to, Val, do you want to pray with me? And, uh, <laughs> and so I prayed with her and that began my journey. And, and um, well, the whole issue there was, again, I didn't have that biblical foundation, but it began to grow. Like the, yes. the work of the Holy Spirit within me began to convince me of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so there was that organic dynamic of the Holy Spirit at work. So um, I, what I want to do, you know, is, is let's shift a little bit and start talking about sort of the, um, the interim era. You know, insofar as like I ended up at the Lighthouse Ranch in 77. Okay, I'd been there before just hitchhiking and somebody picked me up and I had a Jesus dream when I was in the little cub cubicle there. But I went back because I heard that they were planting a church in San Francisco and I wanted to be part of that church. And mm -hmm. so I joined the team. I was six months at the Lighthouse Ranch. And then our team went down to San Francisco in September of 77. 
Okay. Now things that already, you know, there weren't, you know, 15 people getting saved every weekend or actually in, in Southern California, they were baptizing like 300 every weekend for about four years. I mean, phenomenal, but we, but we started to do outreach and we were living common purse like you were, you know, and, and we were, you know, running communal houses, taking people off the streets. And then, you know, basically that's when I started my little branch that became SOS Ministries. Okay, that I, I said, hey, let's do unity stuff. And so I started bringing pastors together to do some uh, combined picnics in the park. And I met Larry Rosenbaum and he was part of Shiloh ministry. And Larry said, hey, I'll do the picnic in the park if you go out on the streets with me two, two weeks later. And that started our little branch of SOS. So, Francis, why don't you talk about that era where, you know, the the fire wasn't quite as hot at that time, but we were still carrying on in what we had learned, and we we brought that through. Talk about that a little bit. Well, obviously, I prayed for the devil to get saved the first month I was a Christian, but once I went through <laughs> once I went through my challenges, I stopped praying for him. And yeah. you know, I remember one of the first desperate moments I had. I went to a young pastor, and I was only a few months. He was a few months older than I was, and I said, "Man, I feel like I'm." hanging on to a cliff and he said let go i said no no you don't understand i'm hanging I, he said let go so at that point <laughs> you're learning to walk by faith not by sight not by feelings yes. but having been saved in a move of god where i was high for the first month i mean i thought being high i mean i come from a false high to serving the most high and so i figured that was <laughs> the last and then it receded and i had to learn to walk by faith so then you begin to develop spiritual muscles and learn yeah. to be obedient um and then you're you're still hopeful i mean in the early innings you know you're hoping that it will come around sooner than later and, and certainly th there have been flash moments of moves of god of people getting saved i'm not diminishing that but nothing compares to it and so you just begin to grow your inner man because you're going through difficult seasons and challenging seasons but then all of a sudden it's kind of like in the day of uh, Samuel with Eli, you know, the day of God, the Lord was rare in those days. And so as even as an evangelist, you know, when I began to train people to evangelize, the people said, man, that, that's incredible, you know, that, that you could do something like that. So it was a novel approach at a certain low tide moment. What's yeah. needed now is novel approaches at this low tide moment. Yes. And give me one, I'll give you one little story that, it, that really relates to where we are at this moment, uh, that couple that I mentioned that we were with last night, she went to a worship service a week ago. And uh, it, it was a great worship time. Uh, it was filled with people from many churches in the Sacramento area, young people. Uh, the, the band and the worship was awesome. But literally, she said, I got there and there's 150 young people and they're just frozen and not liberated emotionally. And wow. she said, I literally began to cry because she said, my generation, Zoomers, you know, 15 to 24, my generation has been so uh, indoctrinated by the mediums of the age that they and they don't feel comfortable in their own skin. They walk into rooms and they're fearful. They're insecure. They're not relationally connected that they don't know what to do. So I don't I don't know what the the secret sauce is other than Jesus but it's going to be an atmosphere where, and I said to her last night, I said, okay, you have just experienced that. 
you are like a, 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 I grew up in Brooklyn. If you'd see a flower coming through the cement, you'd think that was a strong flower. Well, that was actually <laughs> a crack in the cement and a flower grew. I said, but you, you have seen something. Now you pray because you've seen something that broke your heart. You pray. And so it, it's those breakout individuals. Yeah. Uh, maybe Alani Frisbee, Richard, yourself. We were breakouts at a moment that seemed like nothing good could happen. At this point, at my age, I'm just looking. I'm trying to see who are the young guns, if you will, that I could pour my life into, that I could look into their eyes and say, we need you. There's a great lady there last night, African-American lady named Jackie, the street preacher. She's, she's out. I went to a park with her two days ago in mid-Sacramento, handing out water, food. She's a firebrand in a park with drug addicts and prostitutes and gang gang bangers. She's that's her church. Well, I see her as a next wave person. So right. I'm adopting her as my sister and I'm walking with her. Uh, so oh, cool. that's what I'd recommend for those of us who are older, look to see who are the, the ones that the Holy spirit is on that you can draw out that grace. And that happened in my life, even in the early innings. Yeah, Father of the Lord. Some of you know Jerry Russell. I mean, I called him at two of the two in the morning, melting, and he answered wow. the phone, going, "Brother, I'm so glad you called." Like he was sitting by his phone waiting for me to call him. <laughs> it's that kind of responsiveness as a dad, as a spiritual dad, being there, and I want to be that kind of dad at this point. Awesome, That's Richard. So talk to, talk to us about your experience over the last, let's say, 25 years. That's been, you know, just. Like, where do you see the state of things in the body of Christ? And and then we're going to move into a final episode or a, a chapter of this talk and talk about where we see it going in the future. But let's talk about sort of post embers. Where where have we been at? Where's the body of Christ at? What do we need right now? Boy, that's such a hard one. I've been so, in one way, isolated, uh, yeah. both in the church I was with for almost 30 years that was not so much some of them were from the jesus movement but most of them were newly saved or people came coming into joining the church and there was four or five hundred of them at the time we were pastoring and uh my friend doug who just passed away was him and i worked that thing into a ministry and tov and we're trying to get people and i ended up finding out that for my position and and i think what Francis has just said he just did. I like to get a team together. I like teams. And there's, you know, I mean, I, I like numbers. Where sometimes when we interviewed at a Jesus conference up here in the mountains, maybe 6,000 people. And our thing was, what is the problem you have sharing your faith this day? And 62% said, we're not, we wouldn't say we're ashamed of Jesus. We just can't handle the rejection. And, uh, and the other 40-something percent, was unfortunate, is that we don't know how to answer questions like, uh, what happens when a bunch of kids go off a cliff in a bus and they're Christians? Where does God stand with that? So there's the answers that are not being taught or being brought to the Word. As you know, I was just telling you that we were talking with a friend for YWAM who said in 40 years we've never seen people coming to us that are not truly being trained up. I think in our generation, we were equippers. We were willing to go the extra mile. We were willing to stay up all night. With a disciple, I tell people today, I don't have time for people who don't have time for me. 
And that's it's it's got to be going both ways. And you've got to find people. And I'm trying to find that in, in this little fellowship I'm in. In fact, this woman who looks like she's gay, uh, short hair, she, she is. And she walks into the church and everyone ignores her. So I connect with her. In fact, you saw me talking to her at Jesus Culture when we met a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I think we've got to train our people and teach our people what Francis is saying, how to look out for those who are willing to make that step and then make yeah. that step with them. We've got to walk alongside of them. And I don't know if the churches have come up with the way to do that and, and let's have a special ministry where there are disciplers and there are followers. And uh, to me, that's where it's at. It's like Jesus Christ saving the world one person at a time. As much as I believe what things are happening with big revival meetings and gatherings, Satan doesn't go to church. You, you've got to go yeah. into his territory. Yeah. You've got to go into these environments. You've got to find out where you can be effective with the gospel. And uh, that is not easy in this day and age, guys. It's simply, uh, I'd say, at least three generations of bad teaching in schools and Bible schools. And, 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 and I'm going to move around here because that sun is getting to me and uh, I will get to it. So praise Excellent. the Lord for that. So. To me, I'm, I'm looking for disciples at my age, at 82. I, I tell people, if you become a disciple, truly one who wants to follow Christ and do something with your life and ministry, I will get up like Jerry did with you at two o'clock in the morning and go to your house and pray with you. But I'm not going to pray with, with someone and get up at two o'clock in the morning who's just doing nothing, who hasn't got a clue, who has not a love for the Bible, who hasn't been filled with the Holy Spirit. And I can find that out quite easily. I just prayed for a man that was 84 years old, two years older than me. Uh, his daughter said, my dad is sick. Would you please go pray for him? I said, yes, I will. I went and prayed for him. And while I was there, I said, would you like to know Jesus? Yes, I would. Praise the Lord. So we led him to the Lord. You've wow. got to be active. This this generation is so disturbed. And I, I, I worked for almost 30 years, even as a pastor and as a leader. I was doing what we call data processing and objective studies for, for Apple Corporation. Until I moved up to the hills and I, the files were taking so long to get to me to do observation for new come when a, a new system happens, you gotta correlate it with all the applications that'll work with. So I sort of became a, a real techie with Apple and I, I have always been that way. I've turned whole churches into Apple heads. But the bottom line is there's something you've got to find that works for you at your age. And I'm again right. 82 going further and i'm looking for older people and i i just got through teaching a bunch of school teachers and saying look yeah. what life you have poured into jesus the less Amen. you have of something it's like the economy the more it's worth when god sees you've got yeah. two four five years left in your life for heaven's sakes invested in something eternal the kingdom of yeah. god not just drop five grand a month into your little house up in the woods where they all live in these exclusive uh, societies where people resign for life uh exactly. the young people i i've been to meetings in our churches with the young people and they uh they want to serve god we would we just had a parade in our town Ten thousand people were there Ten thousand people the lighting of the christmas tree it happens every year those are the events our team was always at so here is ten thousand people in a small town and they're lighting the christmas tree and our little church has a booth on the beginning and at the end it's about a mile long drag in old gold town. 
and uh, sharing the gospel, sharing tracts, doing things of that nature. We were called the information booths. So we've got to be creative. We've got to figure yeah. out where this generation's coming from. It's like if I, I brought some people to Israel, wanted to be, live there. And I met with Wayne Helson, the King of Kings pastor. And I, he says, these people are going to need 80 grand to live here every year. They're going to have to learn Hebrew if they're going to be effective. Yeah. Well, we got to take that consideration when we start to disciple people and say, look, this is going to cost you. This is yes. real. Are you willing to do this? We have yeah. to put it out to them what it's going to cost. We really do. And right. we have to be equippers with me. I produce, I've been doing this since 1976 when I started the corporation news tracks, I've got hundreds of full colored tracks. We're still doing them every month with news yeah. every month. We distribute them. I give so them away good. free. We send them out to prisons. We send them out to people who subscribe. We pay for the stamp. We pay for the envelope. We pay for the, we don't want money. We tell them we don't want your money. But unless you sow these seeds, don't come back to me. And so it's my way of equipping in a limited way. But I would to God, and I don't know what Jesus culture is doing. You know more of that than I do. But what they're doing at this time, if there's a place for older brothers and sisters can come in and equip these people. But the key thing yeah. for me is, are you a doer? Are you willing to be a doer? I have a word called the new kind of Christian is go. Go ahead. No, what I was going to say with that was that was probably, to me, one of the biggest distinctions from the actual revival era of the Jesus movement and then the post-Jesus movement period was that people stopped doing. They started just becoming couch potato, um, you know, stage-addicted believers and stopped, in general, going after the doing, which all of us were doing during the Jesus movement period. Everybody was a witness. Everybody was an evangelist. And so, again, yeah, like, I mean, we I, I just feel like I mean, there God is alive and active in this new generation and he is creating streams and rivers and underground, um, you know, cisterns for this generation. And there are people uh, that are tapping into that and. Um, we're seeing God break out with young people globally. Yeah. Um, God, God is in the move, but but we who came out of that, we know that there's a more. I just want to. I'm I'm seeing okay. a, a few a few oh, yeah, people um, in the chat room. One from Spain. I don't know where the other two people are or how many people are on here, but I just want to say. There's not only hope, but there's promise for this generation yes. of young people that God in every generation makes a way to capture the hearts and minds of that people. Amen. And that's what we're believing for. And uh, and I and I know it's coming. And, and you know, we need to wrap up. We're, we already committed to going a little longer today just because we knew the topic was so huge. And uh but I want to kind of hear from you both a final word about kind of where this is going. And let me just preface this yes. by saying that um, I believe in the prophecies about a coming harvest. I believe that we are on the verge of something that God is doing. Um, in fact, I wrote a book on that, you know, called Revival Culture, Prepare for the Next Great Awakening. Um, I believe it's time for us to get ready. And one of the things that I do believe is time to get ready is, is that we need to be addressing certain things. And one of those is, you know, the, the 
biblical worldview. I think, uh, you know, I think Barna did a study on Gen Z and said about 2% of, of confessing Christians have a biblical worldview in the Gen Z world, but, but 65% of them would go to another country to serve the poor if they, if they were invited. So it's like, wait a minute, here's, here's, a, here's a group that has very little foundation in truth but they do have a passion to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is back to Diane's statement. That's one of the keys. What are you guys seeing as the keys to unlocking this coming generation? And we're talking, you know, let's say millennial and Gen Z people. How do we unlock this generation and trigger or to, let's say, call it catalyze something resembling the Jesus movement of 52 years ago? I think you start by believing in them. My father and the Lord didn't look at me with disdain. I didn't feel condescension. I didn't feel like somehow I was an ugly duckling, even though I was deformed in many ways. My views, my attitudes, he was very patient. And so I am retooling my heart. And, and part of it is um, some of the folks that I'm around who really have a backstage insight into Gen Z say they're an answer to our prayer. They are actually a gift to us. And yes. Matt, one of them is writing a book called Zoomers um, that I'm helping him write, and that'll be finished up shortly. But our goal is to really allow the younger generation to be affirmed by the older generation. Yes. So one of the things we're doing next summer is a couple of spiritual boot camps. I got saved in 72. By 73, we had a spiritual boot camp at it was called the Springs of Living Waters. It's now YWAM base. And we're redigging that well again, but we see it as a multi-generational thing. So right now we're looking in the eyes. Last night as I was leaving, uh, one of the older guys said, hey, I'm bringing a couple of the young couples here next week to be with us and we can pray for them. So it's, it's one at a time, reaching out, loving, affirming, looking in their eyes, saying, I believe in you. And, and look for those that God's spirit is really on. That there's a lighting upon different ones. You can identify that, affirm that, and then come alongside and join them. They're going to be the ones. I mean, I say to them, I was on a Zoom this morning from 8 to 10 with a 23-year-old and a 45-year-old that are helping me with different things. And, and I say, I care what I think a little. I care what you think a lot. And so, so we affirm them. We draw out from them the gift and the grace in their lives. If you're willing to do that, I believe we're going to surround ourselves with the next wave and we can be the fathers and mothers. The key verse that God's giving us right now, he's turning the hearts of fathers and mothers toward the children. He's turning. Look, if you're older, look for God to turn your heart and look for opportunity to love in them and affirm them and serve them and disciple them as the Holy Spirit leads. Wow. So good. So good, Amen. Francis. Amen. Yeah, Richard, uh, final words. What do you see coming and how can we position ourselves for what God's doing? I do believe there's a move of God coming. I also do believe God is going to have to get the attention of both the church and the world. Yeah. And it's going to be in such a way, I don't know what it is. It could be, because all of the tracks we've been doing over the last year have to do with did a study on fear, what it does. The first thing fear does from the Mayo Clinic is it breaks down the immune system. First thing, the thing called flight or fear, that kind of thing, you either fight it or you run. That brings up adrenaline system in you. So adrenaline lasts for about 30 seconds. It wastes the body, it de-strengthens it, it gives you an active 
strength and wisdom for the moment. But when it's a, a, an abiding fear that's been taking place over the last two years, it, it breaks down the immune system. It makes us weaker, continually happening. So we've seen fear is a tool the enemy uses. And of course, perfect love casts out fear. And that's a word, that word's military. Cast out means the military word. It's aggressive. It's not backwards. It's going forth. And fear has, is, is powerful. And it, it is so many people are living it. I talk to people and I all the time. I said, what's going on in the world that looks positive to you? And they'll all admit nothing, nothing. There's nothing. The government, I've got so many friends up here. We've got people that buy million dollar homes. They're leaving. They're going to Tennessee. They're going to Arkansas. They're going. There's a whole messianic movement going to Arkansas, building a 4,000 acre commune right wow. now. And, uh, so I'm in touch with them. I was just talking to the people yesterday. But there's a fear that is abiding. So we have to be so sensitive. I, I refuse to judge anybody. I refuse to do it. God is the judge. And that includes it's his church. You deal with it, Lord. I'm not the Protestant Pope. I am not the Protestant Pope. I will not try to do that, number one. Gays, not a problem. I've worked with gays for 40 years. For heaven's sakes, I know a lot of them. <laughs> Larry was just giving his testimony. You know, Larry was gay, right? The yeah. bottom line at one point in time. Uh, we just have to open up and let people know we're sincere about what we believe. We're not here to condemn them and, and put them in a bag. But to the Christians, to the believers that are in our churches, in our buildings, whatever, we have to begin to tell them to wake up and get equipped for the harvest. The, the yeah. harvest is coming, the Bible says. It's looking for workers. We need workers. And 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 that's all I can say is, uh, for heaven's sakes, Lord, if you're bringing an abiding fear on this world, let it be the worst kind of judgment I can imagine so that it gets people's attention and they, they start to say, enough. I can't deal with this anymore. There's got to be some other. There's got to be another answer. We are the answer. We yes. the epistles written on the hearts of men and women. So I, well, I just encourage all of us to just love these people, encourage them, bring a good word of refreshment. Uh, at the same time, I'll tell you what, the millennials that we've been de dealing with for almost eight years, they know what's going on. They yeah. know something's broke. They will acknowledge that. They, they don't have a, a hope in financial. They don't have a home owning a home. They don't. They're in yeah. deep trouble. And I'll tell you the one word that is used the most when we're out there interviewing them is they're looking for community. They're looking wow. for community. Community. So well, man, that was born on that born on movement. We may have not been looking for it, but community was an answer to us, to the communes, to the ministries, to everything we're doing. We're in fellowship with people all the time. So I'm hoping that you guys, I, I know that I've seen Francis. I actually follow Francis. For 15 or 20 years he doesn't even know that yeah. i worked with his brother i was the out outreach leader for all of the missions that his brother created from world games to yeah. mardi gras to new york i love going out and ministering in that way not yelling at people and that's why our ministry's changed considerably but right yeah. now this is the greatest opportunity we'll ever have we must take it while we're still alive Amen. Buy in at low tide. Buy in at low tide. Buy in yes. at low tide. Yeah. Amen. Like well, we that. need to wrap it up there. We need to leave it there. But um, I would love, you know, just uh, if you guys feel comfortable 
posting your uh, contact information. Can we, can you guys uh, put that in, uh, you know, uh, Jordan, can you come back on and help them facilitate that and uh, get their contact, you know, whatever, you, whatever best email you have. So if people are sparked by this, we have some live viewers, but we also will have archive viewers that will be coming in. So Francis, thank you for that. Francis has, um, I don't know, lots of books that he's written, a whole yeah. ministry. Richard is coming out soon. And Hopefully, both, Lord willing. Yeah, and both of them are doing stuff in the immediate present yes. that are going to make a huge difference. And so, uh, Richard, if you can put that up there as well, that's awesome. And uh, okay. I would like to just close in prayer. And uh, if I could have Diane, just could you lead us kind of as we wrap things up in prayer and then let's yeah. let's go. Yeah. Okay. Father, thank you. Thank you for the wisdom of the elders, Lord. We need it. We need it in this world. And we ask that the younger generation and the older generation would link arms and that the hearts of the fathers would return to the children and the children to the fathers. And yes, God. We ask for hope on both sides of the fence, hope that overcomes fear. Yes. And that you would bring a wave of the love of God, which is shed abroad in our hearts once again, and that there would just be true salvation, body, yes, soul, God. and spirit in this time and day in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And just Amen. For our, our, our regular viewers, I just want to mention that we're going to be taking a two week break. And so, but we have tons of archives on YouTube. Please just go there. It's all free to access amazing teachers and speakers. And, uh, and so please partake of that. We will also be giving out a special gift over the next two weeks, one on the next week, one on the week after of some uh, basically eBooks that we've created that might be super helpful for you. And so please uh, consider uh, going to our website and just signing up. You just you can sign up on our free leadership training at leadersalliance.org and you can sign up there and actually uh, access and we'll send you, you'll you'll be included in, in this uh, gift that we're giving out. Uh, they're both around 40 pages eBooks that will be super helpful for your leadership in this world. And so again, Richard and Francis, thank you so, so much. We love you. We are so blessed. Love you guys. What an honor thank to be with you. you. I have amazing wives that are also partnered with you in the ministry. May the blessing of the Lord Jesus rest upon yes. you as you continue to serve him mightily in these coming years. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you all. God bless, God bless you. you guys. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.